handle? My name is Robert Nagel. Uh, handle, I guess. Uh, Skype. Uh, my handle is Idiot Programmer. I'm a blogger and a publisher and a, a writer, uh, an author of sorts. I'm also a big music fan. I kind of came across you, your name, and we kind of met uh, online through eMusic. Uh, but generally, I am just as much into collecting music and discovering weird music and not-so-weird music as a non-musician and as somebody who doesn't really get outside very much. I, I like to download uh, kind of strange stuff and look for, look for the things that people are overlooking. And I have kind of a random approach to just listening to music. I kind of started getting into music, well, I mean, all my life, but probably in the 2000s, I started finding out ways that you could download music. I'm still into the downloading thing. And uh, in all, I, I come from Houston, Texas, and there is a big uh, music conference, South by Southwest, that's been going on. And they have somebody who uh, puts together a sample, a bit torrent of MB3s of all the bands that have been involved in it. And it's sort of official, sort of semi-official. Semi and I, list, I download this. It's sort of like 1,500 songs a year for every year. And I've been doing that since like 2004 or so. And basically, I listen to death to them. And I kind of delete the ones I don't like. I rank them on a scale to one to five. And then the ones that I feel very passionate about, I look for. I look to see more about the band and try to buy, support them or buy their stuff. I'm also very, very into the idea of Creative Commons, uh, sharing music and making it possible to share the music without kind of uh, pissing off record companies. Mm -hmm. How can you share things while it's at the same time not breaking any laws and helping the artist rather than defeating the art artist attempt to make money? I don't particularly go to a lot of concerts. I yeah, I, I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to go to more. <laughs> I, I just, I, I don't know. You're in Thailand. I, sh I guess I should ask you, do you go to a lot of concerts uh, in Thailand? I think nobody's going to a lot of concerts under COVID. I can say that. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe this year Maybe this year is a little bit strange. But uh, do, you, yeah. do you do you get a chance to go to a lot of concerts, uh, you know, when you're in Asia, uh, aside from this year? Yeah. yeah, I have gone to a few. And, and since Thailand and a lot of Asian countries have done a lot better, and controlling COVID, there have been still live music shows, and so I try to go when, when possible. I, more, more to you though. I, I this is your spotlight here, so okay, I, okay. First of all, <laughs> wasn't sure. Just go back way back to when you started, <laughs> and ask you about your, your handle. I wasn't sure if the accent was on idiot or programmer, so I wasn't uh, sure if you were pro programming idiots or if you you yourself are the idiot. So first well, I I'm a I'm a clever dude, and I kind of fell into computers. I I was a Peace Corps volunteer like you were, and I taught in Eastern Europe for a while. And uh, that kind of fueled my interest in music from other places. But then I came back to uh, stateside and found my niche as a technical writer for various computer companies. And basically, uh, a technical writer is somebody who pretends to understand what everybody is saying. And so I kind of like thought of myself as uh, the village idiot. And the other thing is, is I just chose Idiot Programmer because, at least in European languages, it's very easy to spell the word idiot and the word programmer, and I thought that it would be easier for people to hmm. remember me. So that's the only purpose. Cultivating I do an international profile, that's great. 
<laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and you know, it's funny. I mean, Americans, we tend to, you know, the, the joke is uh, if you speak two languages, you're bilingual, three languages, you're trilingual. But if you speak only one language, you're an American. And, you know, I, right. Peace Corps did change me very much because it just kind of made me, you know, see just one thing about the music scene in Houston. I was kind of aware of contemporary music, what was going on in the 80s and 90s. Uh, but what was kind of shocking is when I was in Albania and Ukraine, that the types of music that I would thought would be popular in that country were not the types that I had heard of. There were a lot of like, uh, there was a, for example, there was a group, the Scorpions, I'd never heard of. Maybe they were popular in the U.S., but they were wildly popular in Europe. And there were a lot of other kind of bands singing in English that either they were from America and that we they just didn't make the top 40 or they were singing in English and they were Italian bands or they, they were from France or Italy or something. And it just didn't occur to them. These guys weren't from America. There was a band. Oh, my God. What was the name of them? Uh, there was there's these wild like uh, techno Euro disco techno groups and they all sing in English and they're all kind of bizarre. There was one group and I'm trying to think of the name of it. They're, and they sing all these kind of risque songs. Songs like "Don't Have Sex with Your Ex" and uh, "Sex on the Phone" and just—they're just incredibly interesting music. And I heard it when mm-hmm. I, I heard it on the radio when I was on va- uh, buses in Albania, a very conservative Muslim country. And mm-hmm. you know, we'd l- be listening to La Macarena, and then we'd hear "Sex on the Phone." And it would literally be kind of this high intensity dance music. And there would be a woman in the background just faking an orgasm <laughs> really loud. And I'm in sure. I'm in a bus. I'm in a bus with all these older people and, and their kids. And <laughs> kind of made me think about you hear music in one culture and then you go to another culture and then it's it has a different kind of echo. And I'm sure you know that even better than I do from the oh, from the Asian. Uh, so great experience. Everyone should get out of the states when yeah, they can. yeah. And I mean, I remember get a you totally know, different perspective. There was two random things. Well, one is that, and you you probably know this too, is, well, maybe not, not, not anymore, but when you're an American in a country like that, you're often relied upon for your expertise, knowledge of American uh, uh, lyrics from American songs. And they all want you to transcribe the lyrics. or, And so I was expected to do that, to transcribe Nirvana songs or, or, or whatever. I remember when I was in and this is I was in Albania between 95 and 97 and that was when the La Macarena had come and it was also when there was a song called Be My Lover I don't remember La Bouche that La Bouche and it was the single most annoying song I've ever heard in my life and I, I hated that kind of music I just couldn't stand it and it was everywhere and then you know a month later it, and I, I couldn't imagine that Americans would even listen to this and mm-hmm. I guess it maybe was a little bit popular in America, who knows? But I mean, I remember coming back to the United States and thinking, you know, I kind of missed that song. You know, nice. they loved it for what it was, and now I'm going to love it too. But you know, it sounds you like kind of, uh, the musical version of the Stockholm syndrome, where you start to have yeah. sympathy and care about your captains <laughs> or something. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. But at the same time, 
And I guess I'll th- throw this out to you after I say this, but I became awfully sentimental about country music. A friend of mine sent me some mixtapes about country music, and I never really liked country music at all. And actually, I I listened to them and I thought, oh, the, the lyrics are very easy for foreigners to understand so I could use them in my lessons. So there was a practical reason why I was kind of gravitating for country music, but they also just found it simple and unadorned. And I, you know, country music seemed a lot more interesting in another country than it was in Texas where I live. So, you know, it's the international perspective that, and and, you know, the funny thing is, and I'm, I'm comfortable staying under my little rock in Houston, but just being overseas for a few years was enough to kind of convince me of just how little we we know, you know, trance was big in, in Europe in the late nineties and, you know, I absorbed it and I I actually, I actually love trance and EDM music, but it it kind of has, you know, a lot different style than it, than it has in, in USA. And, you know, rap music, mm-hmm. rap music means one thing, but it means another thing, in, in depending on the country you're in. One sure. thing that I did in, in Ukraine, I was utterly fascinated with the music from Ukraine and Russia. I mean, I just moved and I... You know, I didn't know the language very well, but it was my gateway to learning about the language. But I ended up having an opportunity to to give lectures at universities all over Ukraine. And so I kind of developed these fun lectures that were kind of about American culture. And one of them I put together was just about American music, American rock and roll music. And I mean, I I spent a lot of time making a multimedia. And and one of the questions I would always ask the students, I would say, who do you think is the best rock music? music band and in Ukraine they all said the Beatles or the Rolling Stones and I I guess it was kind of lost on me but it never occurred to me that rock referred to kind of an American style Uh, and it wasn't just a generic kind of style referring to all of youth music and you know now I think of rock and roll and I think of it yeah that's sort of you know Elvis and Bill Haley and just kind of very middle of the road rock and roll and you know maybe in the Soviet Union the former Soviet states and in in Russia and even Ukraine rock and roll had a very subversive quality and you know there's still sure. people who, who and in in the US uh, I guess we had that sort of re- teenage rebellion thing the who and Pink Floyd but it wasn't like you were trying to oppose a state or you're trying to keep some secret uh, keep keep some secret to yourself and not letting the government not letting Big Brother kind of see what it was, but it definitely it definitely had a sense that people loved the Beatles, and it was kind of something that they had to do and take risks for it. Uh, in Albania, there was a very famous person who had sang a Beatles song. I think it was "Let It Be" at a public concert, and then he was arrested for like a year, a couple years. <laughs> and you know that's how sure. that's how dangerous it was. I don't know. I don't know if China. China. Would you say China had that sort of attitude about that 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 music could be as kind of revolutionary, you know, American music that is? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I think it's uh, yeah, the sound of freedom, and uh, it's a whole other can of worms too. We can talk another day about. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Sure. 
And, you know, the funny thing is I'm not really, you know, into political music, I guess. You know, you can make things a little bit too uh, preachy. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think I really get into that. I like I like message music in a way, but sometimes it's it's more you can't have fun with your music if, if you're being that way. You're kind of and I'm, I'm trying to th- I'm trying to think of an ex- of a name of a singer that I like who is really very political. <laughs> Maybe John Lennon. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's going that far back. But uh, sure. That works. But uh, um, OK, well, that's what I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> would you say that you would consider yourself much more open minded than most of your, your peers or your family? And I, I wonder if it's entirely the, the international experience or, or, or why? Yeah, sure. Sure. I mean, Americans, you know, we have such a uh, so many freedoms and we can we can get access to so many things now with Spotify. Heck, you know, and Bandcamp. I mean, they're giving it away. You can can listen to anything you want. You can develop all these kind of esoteric tastes. And yet it's funny. A lot of people just prefer the familiar. And you and I are probably exceptions. And, you know, like I said, I'm in Texas, but even I, I think there's a you grow to a certain age where you just kind Kind of are unwilling to take a chance or unwilling to deal with chaos or anarchy or, or whatever. I mean, I always kind of like talk about how, you know, I, I, when I was reading about Beethoven, uh, how the string quartets, lay string quartets were seen as so dissonant and and chaotic. And and to modern modern ears, they sound relatively tame, I, w- I would have to say. And, you know, it's things that sounded so radical in the 70s and 80s. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if they sound that radical anymore. There's just so many different... Kind of subgenres that we can kind of outgrow things. Mm-hmm. We can kind of have memories about how revolutionary is, how much it pissed off our parents, but at the same time, you know, it seems pretty familiar. That's kind of why a lot of the music today I hear, you know, that my nephew or my niece is like, kind of drives me crazy, but I kind of have a sense of, yeah, I'm not really the audience and, you know, my opinion doesn't really matter, I guess. <laughs> but so why do you think it's, uh, you've mentioned, you know, people stop being interested in new music and I we can talk about some studies scientifically that say why that is but uh, uh, why do you think if you're a friend or a family member of somebody and you try to get somebody to listen to some music that you think they should like do you have a lot of success with that or do you find that difficult to, to be you know for people to say hey thanks for cluing me into this or do they, do they take your advice or do they just say yeah thanks but no thanks it's kind of strange I mean there's this woman who I've never met and we're now Facebook friends. She was on WebJ, this wonderful like music sharing site. And we would kind of pop up on various websites and, and we'd recognize each other by our names. I'd be idiot programmer and she would be, what's her name? Uh, I can't remember. She was a Russian, uh, Russian-American. And I almost feel like I could share something with this complete stranger. But, you know, my friends, it's not that they would, if I told them you must listen to this, I, th- I think you kind of are presumptuous when you tell somebody you, you have to listen to something. I had an experience mm. a while back uh, where I was in a car with my nieces and nephews, and all three of them are into music in, in high school. They're studying choir and band and whatever. And I was thinking, well, I could play some you know cool stuff that they wouldn't have experienced in any other context. So I ended up playing, I don't know, it's, it's an Asian singer. Her name is Jem. 
M G E M, and with mm. uh, I really love her stuff. She's really great rock, Chinese rock, whatever. And they were bored mm. silly by it. And then I put on uh, some uh, Laurie Anderson, Weird Science. I think that's the name of the album. And to me, that was like an iconic uh, an album from the '80s. And it was just so bizarre sounding, but yet intoxicating. The rhythms and the swaying and you know she was very much into performance art as well and the, the lyrics were very absurd and it was beautiful in its own way and it's one of these things where my niece and nephews they they were clutching their ears in agony like I was you know piercing piercing their <laughs> eardrums and they were just you know out, out of, they were they were crying they were just they were angry at me and you know I, I, I guess you just can't win people over I think that people develop their taste on their own if they have some sort of ability to open their mind to different kinds of, of music one of the things about Spotify and you know the kind of the similar services that a lot of the, the the big labels have figured it out. They figured out the algorithm where you can have this, this the, the you know the same Beyonce songs kind of get replayed and all that. And so it tends to be, I don't know, a popularity contest. But you know you're amplifying group preferences, and you're not really finding the hidden gems. And I think that's just inevitable right. when when you're dealing with that. And so shared playlist, I never really find shared playlists that useful. Do you make playlists on like YouTube? Do you listen to Spotify yourself a lot, or how do you? I, I, I'm an Apple Music user. Yeah. So okay. I, I was going to okay. ask you what, what what your sources are, but yeah, mostly I when in the states I'm, I still prefer physical media actually, and the brick and mortar record stores and. California and New York City both have a lot of great ones. Chicago, all the all the great cities across the states, and I hope it's uh, I hope they survive. But yeah, I think that finding people, you know, sharing sharing music, you really have to know your audience. And if you just make general suggestions and expect that other people are going to like the same things you are, you're you're setting yourself up for disappointment, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I taught at a middle school when I was teaching kind of creative writing where I kind of had more leeway. And I remember, you know, I played David Bowie, the one of my favorite albums, Low, which kind of blew my mind when I heard it. And uh, I didn't expect them to love it. I just expected it to be background music, but it's, it's, they didn't really connect to it. I guess all generations experience about that about younger generations. Uh, there's nothing that can be done. Like you just have kids, yeah. Yeah, but at, at the same time, at the same time, I mean, I don't know about your parents' taste in music, but, you know, I almost find, and I think I'm different from you in that respect, is that I really like finding out about stuff from the 1920s and 1930s, you know, kind of stuff <laughs> that it's it's all that kind of kind of have this rule. The cheesier and the more embarrassing it is to like a particular band, if, if a band sounds cheesy or something that you'd be embarrassed to say that you like, chances are you should embrace it, you know, and you should just say, I love this band to death. For me, I mean, Andrew's Sisters was one of them. Spice Girls was another one. I'm sure I can think of some from the 70s, some of the bad disco. But there's something to be said for just you know, just appreciating music that kind of irritated people at the time 
and then just kind of revisiting it. And it's kind of weird because my my particular mother, my, my, my dad's no longer here, but my mom is still around and she listens to a lot of music. And she basically kind of the newer, the better. It's like anything that hasn't been done in the last five years, she doesn't want to listen to. She just does. She just wants to hear the new. And ironically for me, it's like I could care less about what's been happening in the last five years. I want to find out, you know, are there any other big band band, bands I haven't heard? What about the 1940s? You know, there's so much interesting stuff in the 1940s that people miss. So fortunately, we have like archive.org that is making a lot of music available on the American side, much less, you know, other countries. Uh, You know, I'm sure Thailand's going to be the same. I mean, Indonesia, uh, I once went into a, I don't know if I still knew you at the time that Indonesian music, uh, I was I was getting into that, but there's just so much of it, <laughs> and, and and in a good way. In a uh, good speaking way. of speaking of older stuff, yeah, of course, of course, yes. There's there's infinite ways to you know explore older, early stuff, older stuff, and you know I preferring 21st century for the podcast, but that doesn't mean there's not. I don't appreciate 20th century stuff, and I wonder if you to change medias for a minute. Did you see the movie Ghost World? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so do, do, do you identify with Steve Buscemi's character in that at all? Oh, I don't really remember. I, so I, I, I remember there was a girl who liked Bollywood music, and he was. Let me guess. He was. Oh yeah, he was the one who also liked Bollywood, wasn't he? I think he liked like 1920s and 30s jazz. And oh, okay. I well, I don't remember that. Well, he's got, he's got an entire den full of 45s and 78s records and so forth. And since he, he just likes stuff that nobody else likes in the entire world, and, and you know, does it yeah. make you feel special? <laughs> Well, there's kind of a saying in the internet world that everybody is famous for 15 people. And sometimes I feel like I found out about a new flavor that no one's ever heard of. I mentioned before that I used to write articles about Gemendo, this French music sharing sites. And, you know, a lot of these performers, singers, whatever, they just had no audience whatsoever. And, you know, if they had any audience, they were on this international website. And so you never really kind of communicate with them. You just sort of like maybe added them to your playlist. And so I interviewed a few of them and, you know, there's a, there are several people that, uh, there were a couple from, from USA, you know, I interviewed and, you know, and just by email, nothing, uh, but, and I was like, here's an incredibly talented person and she's teaching at some music camp <laughs> and uh, little, most people have no idea that she's doing brilliant things. Uh, I'm a big fan of many birthdays, which which we may talk about later. And a lot of musicians are, are doing fascinating things and yet we don't know them as musicians. Uh, you know, most people in their, in their everyday life, I guess we could say that about any arts, you know, I'm a writer and, you know, I don't think people really would know from the outside that I, you know, have this special passion for writing, writing stories. I guess it's just, we don't really have as many connections with our neighbors anymore, but. Lots of reasons, I'm sure. Yeah. You mentioned you, you, like file sharing sites, you use Spotify. You also are still subscribed to eMusic, I believe. Do you, do you have any physical media, or is that uh, you seem a very Good digital, digital savvy question. kind of a semi senior? Well, I had a I had a moment, a terrifying moment. And, and actually, I should put it in perspective. I was unemployed. I lost my job. I think it was 2009 or so. And I should back up and say that, did you ever read CMJ, College Music Journal? Or did you ever hear about it? I reported when I was the radio station DJ. 
Okay, well, there like was their, this. I like their compilations. They had a magazine that was every month, and they put together, like, uh, in their magazines, they had, like, inserts of CDs. And it so happens yeah. that a, fr- a friend of mine would kind of make mixtapes of them, send them to me overseas. And immediately when I got back, I wanted to hear every single one just because it was sort of a lot of random singers that I'd never heard of. And I, I brought them to Ukraine with me, and I still listen to them. They, they, they gave me a great snapshot of the 90s. I heard, I remember Elliot Smith, I heard for the first time. Uh, just, oh, just wonderful. Kristen Hirsch for the first time. Just lots of great 90s. Uh, well, you know, Daft Punk, I think. Yeah, just, just a ton of stuff. I remember in 2009, I was thinking of a song, and, and I remembered, uh, you know, I had the CDs in these, like, booklets where you store CDs, and I knew how to how to rip things, and I think I had ripped a few things, but I hadn't really done it very methodically, and then there was a song that I really, really wanted to, to listen to at that time, and I, I couldn't remember the title, of it, but, but I knew that it was in this, it was in this, uh, this CD, and I spent all this time looking at eBay to find if this CD was available. I just wanted to know the name of the song. I could figure out how to obtain it, but I just couldn't. I, th- I think it was, but I spent hours trying to figure out a way to figure out what what song this was. The CMJ magazine had already folded by that time. And, I, and when I realized that I had missed it, that I couldn't find it, I was really devastated. I, I was in a state of shock. And then I, then I kind of thought, you know, I had been assuming that CDs were dinosaurs uh, that we no longer need to carry CDs. And then I realized, well, well, wait a minute. We're coming to a point where CDs are of less value. They're not really being sold anymore. They're not really being bought anymore. People are kind of like kind of transferring to downloading and whatever. But at the same time, CDs, there are a lot of CDs that never get converted. And so I think for a year or two, I just bought hundreds of CDs and I became a master at buying them from half.com and from going to music stores. And I mean, I, I bought like my own CD, CD player that I would listen to. I would l- preview the CDs while I was in the music store. And I remember one time, I, I'm sorry, it was a music store, but it was actually a DVD store. By 2010 or so, they were no longer music shops. They were called DVD shops that happened to have, you know, used CDs. And I remember one time I was accosted by one of the people working the cashier said, uh, sorry, sir, you can't listen to the music before you buy them. <laughs> and it was like, what? <laughs> I mean, that's like, that's like so contrary to what a music store should be about. But uh, there's a famous scene in uh, the movie Before Sunrise where the two characters are kind of in this, I guess they're in Austria, uh, Vienna. They're in Vienna, uh, yeah. and they're in this music listening kind of booth. And I just said, "Oh wow, that's a wonderful place to be." For a while, we had all these kind of music listening methods that were were great. You could go into into a shop and listen to. Uh, now, of course, we don't. We used to organize in my city kind of music swaps where people would make burn CDs and just kind of bring ten copies of it and just give them out randomly and you know i don't think we we thought about piracy we just thought about sharing our taste and that that was sort of how how we 
dealt with physical media. Now, physical media, I don't really worry about it. Although what I do is, you know, make backups of hard drives. I think I have, I think I'm approaching 300,000 audio tracks on my computer. And I think I can't, I think that's almost two, two terabytes. I'm not sure. And, you know, I, I love all the stuff. And at the same time, I'm not really listening to it in a methodical fashion. There's a lot of things I've enjoyed. I, I made it a point to try to download and then I've either forgotten about totally and I'd just love to spend the rest of my time just listening to music like that. Uh, but on the other hand, I should ask this question. I mean, I'm kind of a person who stays at home and works in front of my computer a lot, but a lot of people just don't have the lifestyle where they can listen to music repeatedly for the for the whole day. Maybe if you're, you know, a programmer sure. and working in a play, uh, in education, you certainly can't do it. If you're in an office environment, a lot of times you can't do that if you're dealing with customers. Uh, so a lot of it is just, you know, are you lucky enough to be in this job where you can listen to music all day? I, I put it in, in terms of a lot of surveys ask, how much time do you spend a week listening to music? And they've got options like one to five hours, five to 10 hours, and then you're just off the charts and like, well, how about 10 hours a day? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and yeah. you know, a lot of times people, uh, I mean, in Houston, Houston's a very, there's a lot of commuting done. You're always in your car, although I don't, not not me anymore, but people listen to music in their car and satellite radio on their playlist for a while, on their on their portable devices, on their on their iPhones, on their Spotify playlist that they're, you know, connecting via Bluetooth through the speakers. I mean, and actually now I've stopped doing that. I've started listening to podcasts on, in, when I'm in the car and I don't know know if uh, how comfortable people are with podcasts that seems to be a new thing but on the other hand you you know music can be very soothing and relaxing and speaking of age and kind of you know receptiveness to different styles of music i like listening to kind of odd things but for me my priority is things that don't dis disrupt my concentration very much. And sometimes music kind of does that. I mean, I think it was Brian Eno who sure. said that he wanted to have or wallpaper music, uh, music that right. people wouldn't really pay attention to and yet be wonderful. Yeah. There's something to that. And I, I, for example, here's a question for you. I'm going to ask you this. When you were growing up or even now, do you listen to music right before going to sleep? I, I, mean, I listen to music you, all day, so I'm the wrong person to ask. <laughs> when you turn when you turn the lights off and you're about to go to sleep, do you have music playing that will eventually shut it? I know a lot of people that do. I personally have to turn the music off when I go to sleep. Yeah, I, I, I go in phases. I mean, I know that definitely in my youth, in my youth, I used to do that. I mean, the, Be the Beatles, I, I would do that all the time. And I have to say, Pink Floyd's, I think it was Wish You Were Here. Is that, is that their, their famous album? I had heard that the first time <laughs> when I was kind of half asleep and waking up. And I was like, what is this weird music that I have on my playlist? And I, I kind of have this old criteria is, one, does this music distract me enough that it, I can't do intellectual work in front of my computer? The other thing is, is it something that I can go to sleep to? That's a big deal for me. And when I say go to sleep, I also take a lot of naps. Uh, that's one thing. So I'm kind of like thinking, kind of blend into that, into the music when I'm going to sleep. 
And a lot of it, I just, I just don't think I can do that for her. Sometimes electronica music has this sort of flowing quality, uh, ambient music probably more, but, uh, you know, there's a lot, on the other hand, there's a lot of EDM that is just kind of like loud pounding and trumpets. I, if you're going to put the, make this available, I want you to include the link to this. This is one of my mm-hmm. all-time favorite sound experiences. It's a 90-second, I'm, I'm sorry, 90-minute I don't know what it soundscape. I guess that's what you would call it. And it it just is somebody playing around with uh, a synthesizer and just using all these special effects. And it's the most repetitive thing I've ever heard. And yet it's it's soothing. And I've listened to it. It's extremely monotonous. And I think that you'd probably find it monotonous too. And you'd probably put it off after five minutes saying, I don't really care. But I've listened to it. I already know the peaks and valleys. And if I want to go to sleep, if I want to just kind of relax, I'll keep this in the background. And it's just it's just utter utter beauty. And it's very it's very rhythmic. And it's pulsating. It's rhythmic. It has a lot of variations and tone changes and rhythms. And yet it just seems to kind of go with the natural flow of the of the body when it's kind of drifting into a relaxed state. I kind of like that kind of music as drum. Maybe that's what I'm longing for. <laughs> I was going to say, it's, it's certainly true that music has expressionistic qualities. And, you know, you can you can make clever lyrics and, you know, you can make meaningful messages. And it's wonderful. And that, you know, I, I can probably give good examples. And I'm sure you react strongly to that, too. But, you know, sometimes it's just it's just is, is this music the pill that I need right now? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I have to be in the mood for some things. And I think that what you're getting into there is, yeah, the, the functionality of what, what the music is, that not everything is meant for, uh, you know, driving at late night to ambient music could put your life in danger if you fall asleep at the wheel or you wouldn't want to do it on the dance floor. or, And, you know, similarly, I think what, uh, in addition to ambient music, rather that usually we assume is electronic, I think a lot of people would never consider reading to music, which is what I generally use uh, quieter music for, to call it uh, something like non non-intrusive so that it doesn't as you say, distract you yeah. reading music is what I would categorize all of that not just ambient but anything you can read to or possibly go to sleep to that would be like a lullaby yeah I think you're you're onto something there for sure yeah and I know I know that they they have a lot of playlists for kind of work playlist or write that final paper playlist and I've seen some of those and those can be really effective uh, I remember Benny Goodman I'm a big fan of Benny Goodman and you know that style of music and I downloaded these 30 minute radio broadcast of Benny Goodman performing live at these various halls and it was pure music they cut out the commercials they cut out everything all the talk and and whenever I needed to have to turn something in for work I would just crank on this stuff and it would energize me it was like red bull you know doing all that caffeine and and then once and once i get out of my system then i don't listen to it for another decade who knows but where do you go to to get music reviews where do you what what critics do you follow or uh, what music publications if you still like magazines do you do you read god that's a really good question i mean well i mean i i guess because i've been a subscriber to e-music that has affected my choices somewhat i generally kind of view reviews and criticism as kind of evil as kind of like 
Well, not not evil. I mean, not not. I really don't mean evil, but the sense that it's kind of a, a PR machine, and then the critics sure. are reviewing review copies that they get, and so the bigger labels get more coverage, and so you, you kind of have to kind of work past that. Now that said, I definitely definitely keep track of criticism, and I would say Pop Matters is one that I look at uh, that I think is very good. But you know, quite frankly, it's more of I discover this funky. Thing thing and then I look it up on Wikipedia and then I look I read all the articles about it <laughs> it's kind of the, the the reverse thing I don't really I hate to say it I mean I have a good friend who used to be a music critic and he turned me on to a lot of music he, he wrote very good music criticism it got me into uh, stereo lab yeah that's right stereo lab as well as lots of other you know 90s 90s groups uh, but, darlings. Uh, yes, yes. yeah yeah and, and this is this is probably just because I have more time on my hands and more alone is I like to download music and I like to just download random stuff and then listen to it uh, compilations you know it's kind of very labor intensive to do that it may not be what everybody and and you know intellectually probably Spotify is, is better where you're kind of going on the on the idea oh I like that singer let me hear every single thing that singer has done and you know I mean I'll, I'll definitely look at the New York Times and NPR I mean NPR one of the funny things it's true in literature as well but most of the time NPR and you know Time Magazine and CNN and New York Times they kind of find time to do interviews or or reviews early on in somebody's career and then you know by the time you hear about them all you have to do is find the requisite interview or the profile page on NPR and, and you'll be fine but I used to read Robert Christow. He's a critic that's been around forever. Uh, one of the things that I have the luxury of is that uh, I have a big city libraries, and I'm able to check out a lot of things and basically listen to things from the library, and then you know I can read up about read up about these these bands. Or uh, there used to be. Did you ever listen to Rough Guides, the CD sure, series? Of course. They're of they're wonderful, it's and you know, good series. And you know. Some of the bands, some of the some of the groups are kind of silly. I, I my only regret is that the liner notes, uh, you know, are probably fantastic, and I never get around to I rarely get around to reading them. <laughs> but you know, I mean, the liner notes is, are wonderful, and you know, I'm glad that some people are. Maybe I should I should volunteer to write liner notes for some other musicians. I remember there's a there's a trumpet player, Valida Snow. Ever heard of her? Louis Armstrong called her the second best trumpeter in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and she's a woman who was sort of like a singer. She d- kind of did what Louis Armstrong did, but did it in her own feminine way. And I remember the liner notes just kind of ma- made her life very interesting and, you know, made me understand why I, I'm enjoying this so much. Uh, on the other hand, you know, it's not I'm not reading and then discovering things. Now, that said, I come from a book background and I like to buy books that are consumer guides. And the uh, New York Times has some series about best things you should listen to. There's a great book, a, th- a Thousand Albums You Should Listen To Before You Die. It's kind of a silly concept, but I enjoy it. There was a book out two decades ago, probably. It, it was uh, called Desert Island. And basically, they asked all these random people if you could bring you know, seven albums uh, with you to a desert island, which seven would you pick? <laughs> and I uh, uh, you can imagine how fun it would be to peruse something like that. And, and that said, the uh, the other time is just kind of paying attention to pop culture. Who is a singer that's 
in the background on this episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer or, or whatever. You know, I, I love criticism. I, I just don't really find I don't learn very much uh, by it. I learned about the genre. Would you say that? I mean, would you? I mean, I, I, I enjoy reading Pitchfork reviews. Don't get me wrong. Even, but do you go to special trouble to say, well, I wonder what reviews have appeared in Pitchfork in the last month? <laughs> I think everybody has their own guru and that they, they go to a certain site. For me, it's All Music Guide. And I think they're yeah. they're brief and they're not as showy or as uh, sensationalist, I think, as Pitchfork, so, which I prefer them. I think they also have a wider range. But, uh, yeah, I agree with you that usually it's the, the reverse order where it's not the review telling me what to listen to. It's finding something I like and then saying, well, what did I learn more about this by reading about them on Wikipedia or All Music Guide? Now, all music, I've lived by them. It's wonderful. I was wondering if you've ever heard of RateYourMusic.com. I just joined, actually. Yeah, I just oh, really? Discogs <laughs> and Rate Your Music. So I'm you know, trying it's to promote the a, podcast. It's sort of a crowdsourced way of uh, reviewing music. And I think even though there must be some commercial backing that's uh, you know a service that is paying people to review albums, and maybe the labels are paying mm-hmm. people to review albums, and then they're they're being reprinted on all music, which is perfectly fine. They do they do the same thing in in the book world as well. I think that there's some commercial entity involved. Whereas if you look at Rate Your Music or if you look at just Amazon reviews, you can you can often learn a lot about you know who is especially popular. Now, pardon me for saying this, but I really loved reading YouTube comments about music videos and music there are a lot of times where for these obscure bands there will be you know a hundred views and there's no comments and you have the right just you have the power to say whatever you want and hopefully you know if if the band is is that obsessed with uh, getting praise that they might even notice it and it's always a good feeling when you feel like they they see what you're doing there's a glut of talent out there and I think the fans are much more dispersed than they than they ought to be. Sure, sure. What do you think about like YouTube? N- not so much about the playlist, but is it fun for you to read the YouTube comments? And you know, aside from the bickering, that sometimes I mean, like for example, there are usually albums that you know there's like obscure tracks, and there'll be people who will say, "I was there at the concert in 1974, and you know, this they were awesome." <laughs> You know, I'm a fan of Fleetwood Mac. They're, they're just kind of part of growing up. I'm 55, whatever. I had always, you know, there's a, a song called Rhiannon, which is, you know, perfectly good song by them. And I remember reading somewhere that the live versions are, you know, infinitely superior. And it just so happens that YouTube has at least five different live versions. And I had the opportunity to listen to them. And there was fierce, fierce debate about whether this version is better than that version. I o- always love fans arguing about about that kind of stuff. In the, in the classical music world, that's that's somebody's job is to find the best, most definitive version of any, any classical com- com- work of, uh, uh, you know, of classical music. And I think that it's fair that classic rock should have its own own version of that, although maybe not so much for someone's job. 
I think that's great. Yeah. And I think what you said about uh, obscure examples that have almost no comments. Yeah. You really have an inordinate amount of power in that situation where you are, you are really the groundbreaking pioneer to say, well, this, this song is deserving of far more views or more uh, appreciation than it has received, or, or maybe the opposite. This is, this deserves to be obscure and I don't blame anyone for not liking it. <laughs> well, would you say in Thailand and in China, places like that, that YouTube, the music video is often the way that people listen to something? Asian versions of them. I think there's a, it depends on if you're just a casual music fan like most people or if you're more inclined to explore like we are, just like anywhere. So you get get a little mix of both. Well, in the 1980s, you know, there was a lot of contempt for music videos and MTV. I was strongly in the, yeah, music videos suck. And now it's, you know, they've kind of figured it out. And even even lesser bands, even minor bands have all these fascinating videos. And maybe they've gone into the music production business with the thought of how the video will look. On the other hand, as you probably know, of course, a lot of music is glitz and youth and beauty. And I almost prefer the uglier the music the more interested I am in the musician just because it was like they they must have something raw and unappreciated <laughs> yes yes I, I, I'm with you I don't want a pretty face on my album cover and it's always wonderful when you hear you know a random playlist of something and you have no idea who these people are and then you say oh yeah wow she's real popular in this country and she's gorgeous too I guess it's kind of ads but it, it's not really that important overall I think with most people, with the open mind and the exploration, I think you you come across a lot of stuff that I think most people would would really hate. They would not stick with it. And I wonder, is there anything that really makes you just turn off the the radio, turn off the CD player, or just skip it entirely? What what kind of music is revolting to you? Well, I should just say... I download uh, this like BitTorrent of South by Southwest stuff every year, and unfortunately, this year is the first year they didn't do it. But there's still a ton of stuff to listen to, and uh, the guy who puts it together has started to tag by genre, and so there are all these genres with their uh, sub genres of rap. That it's the obscenity. And I mentioned before trap rap, which is kind of hard for me to listen to. And, you know, I've kind of gotten used to that. But Kristen Rock, Kristen rap, my God. You know, if you listen to all these amateurs, there's so much Kristen Uh, rap. And it's so awful. And, you know, like I said, I go through all 1,600 songs and I'm trying to rate them. And it's it's so laborious. But then I find every year it's 1,500. And I rate them from one to five. The ones that I rated five, every one of them is remarkable. Every one. Usually I used to enable some one and keep them just because I just want to remind myself of how horrifying they are. And, you know, some of it is just kind of recording quality or, or just some of that. Some of it is just they think that just kind of doing something in a style is interesting. But I said Christian rap is something that I couldn't care for, but I give it a fair shake. I'll listen to everything once and sometimes I'll listen to it twice just in horror. And I'm not, I'm not bothered by that so much. Sometimes... I really do like this kind of mindless pop stuff. And so that doesn't bother me as much. And sometimes some of this stuff from like the 1980s, the Cabaret Voltaire, even the kind of the Devo wannabes, that was sort of like rough. And they wanted to be rough. They wanted to be kind of dissonant. And I can kind of get into that in a way. Part of it is making an impression. Can you do something that 
even if you don't like it, you can say, that is the weirdest I've ever heard. Do you listen to Steve Reich very much? Uh, of course, sure. Okay, have you ever he- heard Counter- it's going to rain? Counterpoint three, yeah. Have you ever heard, heard it's going to rain? I don't know that one. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, you know, in the college dorms, I was listening to Schoenberg operas and Philip Glass, who I absolutely love. And I would I would seek out all this weird music. And I came across this album of Steve Reich. And it's, it's going to rain. He was doing, like, tape samples. And one sample he took mm-hmm. was of this uh, minister, Baptist minister on the street, who was just yelling and shouting. He, he did this thing. And then he kind of repeated it and sampled it. And it was really, I mean, revolutionary. He was one of the first people to ever do it. I would turn it on full blast and people would come by my dorm and say, well, that's so weird. What is that? And I kind of, you know, reveled in that. But there's a point now where I can listen to it and I can really just, it almost is relaxing. It's almost, it, it has a definite musical quality. And basically, if, if for people today, it just seems like all he's doing is just sort of changing the pitch or changing the speed of it a little bit. And he's not really doing that much, but he is trying to be careful. There is kind of a method to his madness. What can seem so revolting now can, can seem a little bit more appealing later on. That said, you don't have to force yourself to listen to it. And there's something about repetitive quality of music. I mean, it is said that music that you hear in the, when you're 14 years old tends to stick with you for the rest of your life. It tends to define you. And I think it's right. just we return to it so often. And we return to it as a young adult. We return to it as somebody who's middle aged and oh, a nostalgic person in the 60s. For me, that when I was 14 years old, it was 1979. It was my Sharona. It was the logical song by Supertramp. That is my utter favorite song and I have so many memories associated with that song I'm sure it'll come up in a random setting and that'll trigger a a lot of memories so I mean maybe maybe that's a very subjective impression about the song rather than kind of appreciating the songs as qualities itself but for example when I was young there was a music called Disco it was called Disco Duck it was sort of trying to capitalize on the on the disco craze there were a lot of kind of random terrible songs capitalizing disco craze and for me now, if I were to hear that song now, I would just feel so nostalgic for, oh, you know, the simplicity of that of that crappy song. Well, formative years, I mean, it's it's who you are. It's part of your identity at that point, right? Yeah, and it's also a kind of a way to connect with people your age. And even if you're somebody your age in another country, you know, they probably have experienced the same kinds. Definitely, you know, they're not going to know a lot, a lot of the songs, especially for you and me who are listening to all this weird stuff. But there are some songs, there's usually one song a summer that just kind of you can't escape from <laughs> no matter what country you're in everybody has that what was it what does the fox say that song is we're gonna oh, feel sentimental oh, about that song yeah. yeah and in fact i'm gonna i'm gonna write an essay sometime so, about la, la macarena just because when i first heard it it was an amazing period of my life and indelible memories i'm sure to conclude what are your, some of your favorite albums and favorite styles of music I think David Bowie's low, Brian Eno, put together. I just think that's a magnificent combination. Anything by Franco... Anything by Franco from Congo, the, the Congo, he's a god in my book. And he's done many different complex things. Indian music, I've listened to a lot of Bollywood music. And actually, maybe there's a Pakistani, Noor Jahan. She's a, she sings like the Pakistani uh, movies where I, anything by her I, I like. Andrew Sisters, I can go for anything Andrew Sisters. I'm trying to think of somebody recently. <laughs> 
Kristen Hirsch. <laughs> Kristen Hirsch. I don't know how much you've kind of followed the Pixies and the Breeders and, and all that, the Kim Deal stuff, but mm-hmm. uh, Kristen Hirsch and her half-sister, Tanya Donnelly, they were involved in throwing muses in the, in the 90s. Kristen Hirsch went her own mm-hmm. crazy way, and it, it's just wonderful when a musician stays with it for so long. You can see how they change. You can see how they grow better or worse. And Kristen Hirsch, I remember I heard her, uh, her songs the first time during a, an interesting point in my life. She's always been very expressionistic and very poetic, and I really enjoyed this. I really need to make a, a collection of my favorite albums, but I would also say Fleetwood Mac's Tusk. And Fleetwood Mac has kind of a kind of a very mainstream sound, and I don't know how great they are, but they did this double album in the 1970s, one of the first albums I ever bought, and maybe I feel some nostalgia about it. But basically, they had a lot of money, and they did all kind of wacky tests about music. They did a lot of experimentation, a lot of different styles. Uh, amazingly, a lot of their songs are not from Tusk, are not really, uh, they're not, I, I don't even know if Tusk has been digitalized. I can't remember that. It's, it's they have they have greatest hits and all that. I've mentioned a few others that are uh, on the on the on the Russian uh, Ukrainian side. Uh, Anuka, you say, I guess you say it Anuka. There's this uh, Ukrainian rap a group called Potop and Nastya, which I can't can't get enough of, and I generally like that Russian Ukrainian pop sound. And I think Ukrainian they, they do a lot of very interesting uh, styles, and I, I really get into that. Uh, that's sort of a kind of a preview of some of the things I like. I'm sure if I, I thought real hard, I could make my top 10 in a more methodical way, but that's kind of spitballing here. When you get your top 10, we'll, we'll attach it to the show notes for this interview. Thank you for sharing, and we'll, we'll post your blog links and all anything you'd like and in, in the show notes for this. This has been a profile in music exploration. I'm DJ Pazur, and this has been Indie Programmer. Thank you very much for sharing your thoughts. 